0: Hello, and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, NATO leaders have offered no timeline for Ukraine to join the alliance, but say it will happen when states agree and conditions are met. Leaders of countries in an East African regional bloc have called for an immediate ceasefire and a no-fly zone in Sudan and more than 40 people have been killed in monsoon floods triggered by torrential rains across North India. Starting in Europe, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says leaders have agreed to allow Ukraine to join the alliance when conditions are met. The statement came after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky blasted the organization for not offering a timeline for the country's accession. Stoltenberg also announced a NATO-Ukraine council and approved what he calls the most comprehensive defense plan since the end of the Cold War with a aim to keep 300,000 troops at high readiness. John Beaver reports from the NATO summit in Vilnius.
1: As was expected, Ukraine dominated day one of proceedings here in Vilnius. There were messages of support and promises of further help in the fight against Russia but the key question of when Ukraine can join NATO appears to be no closer to being answered. On his way to the summit, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky thanked allies for their support, but criticized the absurd decision to not set a timeline for membership and insisted that Ukraine deserved respect. In response, the NATO Secretary-General said that an invitation to join the alliance would be issued when allies agree and conditions are met. He went on to say that membership is not based on a timeline, but making sure that Ukraine has met conditions such as strengthening their governance and having strong anti-corruption measures in place. Kyiv has conceded that it won't be able to join NATO whilst fighting continues, but had wanted assurances about when the process could start. Further support for Ukraine has been announced though, with Germany promising more tanks, artillery ammunition, and other equipment totaling more than $750 million.
0: That was John Beaver in Vilnius, Lithuania. In Russia, the Kremlin says NATO's expansion into the Nordic region will have negative implications for Russia's security. Finland is NATO's newest member, and Turkey agreed to support Sweden's accession on the eve of the NATO summit. Dasha Terneshova reports from Moscow.
2: The criticism with regards to further enlargement of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization we have heard from the Kremlin also saying that the membership of Sweden in the military alliance will certainly require the response from Moscow that will be akin to the one that Russia has taken to Finland's membership in NATO. We also understand that Moscow is concerned about the movement of the military infrastructure of the NATO countries closer to the Russian borders and Dmitry Paskov, the Kremlin spokesperson, has confirmed and reminded that it was the Western European military infrastructure that was getting closer to the Russian borders, not the other way around. And the Russian Foreign Minister has also been saying that he was amazed at the speed with which Sweden and Finland have both abandoned their neutral status. Let's listen to Sergei Lavrov.
3: Helsinki and Stockholm are already discussing with the United States. Issues related to deployment of alliance infrastructure right near Russia's borders in case of Finland and not far away from our borders when it comes to Sweden. Let me assure you that all legitimate security interests of the Russian Federation will be protected and we know which measures to take and to practically employ.
2: Moscow has been saying that membership of Ukraine in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization is a red line for Russia, and that's why Moscow has started its so-called special military operation in Ukraine. Moscow says if Ukraine is given some sort of the green light uh, or any sort of the prospect towards joining NATO, then Moscow will be responding to accordingly. Now Moscow officials are also warning of the catastrophic consequences to the overall security architecture in Europe, because Moscow believes that it the Western countries, and particularly the United States, that have been pumping Ukraine with weapons, that have been uh, that has become the possibility after the coup d'etat, as Moscow describes it, in Ukraine. So certainly, Moscow insists that there will be uh, tremendous repercussions should Ukraine be getting closer towards joining NATO.
0: That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting on Russia's response to NATO's expansion. More on the NATO summit, Russia and China have issued separate statements slamming NATO's statements against the countries and its expansion plans in the Nordic and Asia-Pacific regions. The alliance accused China of posing systemic challenges. The Chinese mission to the European Union says the NATO statement is written with Cold War mentality and ideological bias. It added that China will fight back at any move that undermines its legitimate rights and interests. Moving on to Asia, more than 40 people have been killed in monsoon floods triggered by torrential rains across North India. Schools have been shut after rains lashed several states in the region for two consecutive days, including in the capital. Ravinda Bawa reports.
4: After an emergency meeting, the authorities announced that preparations to evacuate 41,000 people to relief camps have been made. Delhi government has set up 16 control rooms to monitor flood-prone areas. Schools in the capital were closed after heavy rains. An interaction between a western disturbance and monsoonal winds is causing intense rainfall spell over northwest India. Municipal authorities are engaged in pumping out water from waterlogged areas. Road and rail traffic have been affected as roads have been swept away. Some trains are cancelled and others are diverted as tracks are submerged underwater.
0: That was Ravinda Bawa reporting from India. The foreign ministers of the ASEAN Group of Nations have been meeting in Jakarta for a two-day conference. The annual meeting comes amid mounting pressure to address the political crisis in Myanmar with the bloc divided on how to deal with the situation. Raburling Perba reports.
5: The Indonesian Ministry of Foreign Affairs says that using dialogue is important to further solve human rights issues going on in the region now and we know that the Myanmar crisis continues to be on the spotlight for the meetings. Yet some eyebrows are raised whether the five-point consensus is effective at all uh, to solve these uh, ongoing crises. And not just that, uh, Thailand uh, hosting their own regional meetings with other states in the region, excluding key ASEAN members such as Indonesia, uh, Singapore and Malaysia, is giving a sign of a divided ASEAN. Previously, the Foreign Minister of Indonesia also emphasized that Southeast Asia uh, should be free of nuclear-powered weapons uh, to maintain uh, peace and stability in the region. Now, nuclear power is uh, worrying the region as offers as might loom closer with nuclear-powered uh, submarines patrolling in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, uh, coming ahead, uh, we have regional security dialogues that includes uh, other big players uh, such as the U.S., China, and Russia.
0: That was Robert Purba in Indonesia. In Africa, leaders of countries in an East African regional bloc have called for an immediate ceasefire and a no-fly zone in Sudan. The leaders of Ethiopia, Kenya, South Sudan and Djibouti met in Ethiopia to find a resolution to the conflict. Jerem Chala reports.
4: Member nations of the Eastern African Regional Bloc EGAD have concluded their first official meeting on the situation in Sudan with several resolutions. The Intergovernmental Authority on Development's Quartet of Nations to lead Sudan mediation efforts, that is made up of Ethiopia, Kenya, Djibouti, and South Sudan, have wrapped up their consultations in Addis Ababa that were chaired by Kenyan President William Ruto. I strongly condemn this senseless violence, the brutal attacks on civilians, including women and children and the extensive destruction of property and infrastructure that is threatening the nationhood of Sudan and sparring uncertainly across our entire neighbourhood. The leaders want to see an immediate cessation of hostilities in Sudan and an end to the destruction of human lives as well as property. We call for a strike no-fly zone over the Sudan as well as and cease the use of heavy artillery. Secondly, both parties to the, to the conflict will have to facilitate the immediate delivery of human, humanitarian assistance to all beneficiaries affected by the violent conflict. Thirdly, we call upon all Sudanese political forces to resume the political dialogue. It is now more than three months since the conflict in Sudan began. So far, more than 3,000 people have been killed and over 2 million dispersed by the fighting between the Sudanese military and the paramilitary rapid support force. The IGAD mediation team has called for more assistance for the internally dispersed Sudanese as well as those who fled the country. It also wants to see roundtable talks between Sudanese military leader General Abdel Fattah al Burhan and his rival RSF leader General Mohammad Dagalo Hemedi. Establishment of safe humanitarian corridors. Two, mediation between the leadership of SAF and RSF so that we can stop the war. And number three, commencing all inclusive dialogue aimed at restoring Sudan to democratic governance. Sudan faced a severe and worsening humanitarian crisis. People across the country are suffering. Widespread looting, human rights abuse, and the conflict-taking ethnic lines are all reasons to worry about there. Experts suggest restoring peace in that country should be done now before the current situation escalates to a fully-fledged war.
0: That was Jeremchala in Ethiopia. Now to North America. Canada has been struggling to control hundreds of wildfires raging across the country this summer. Record temperatures in many parts of Canada have made it more difficult to put out the fires. Temperatures in 17 regions in the northwest have hit historic highs. Smoke drifting south continues to affect Canada and parts of the United States. Dan Williams has more.
3: Here in Chicago, the air quality is predicted to be poor for at least the rest of the week. More than 800 wildfires still burning across Canada, the majority of which are out of control. More than 9 million hectares have burned so far this year in Canada, according to the Canadian Interagency Fire Centre, making it the worst wildfire season on record. Across Canada, extreme heat alerts remain in place. In the Northwest Territories on Saturday, temperatures soared as high as 100 degrees, or nearly 38 degrees Celsius. The hottest temperature ever recorded in that northernmost area. New rounds of evacuations were also ordered over the weekend in British Columbia. The region's largest wildfire on record, the Donny Creek Fire in British Columbia, is approaching 600,000 hectares. Firefighters discovered it on May 12th. And then there are those impacts that are being felt across North America. Poor and sometimes dangerous air quality, which is particularly impactful on vulnerable people children, pregnant women, seniors, outdoor workers, and individuals with pre existing health conditions. And with hundreds of wildfires still burning out of control, and with months of the summer still to go, this cycle is expected to continue for the foreseeable future.
0: That was Dan Williams in Chicago. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. NATO leaders have offered no timeline for Ukraine to join the alliance, but say it will happen when states agree and conditions are met. Leaders of countries in an East African regional bloc have called for an immediate ceasefire and a no-fly zone in Sudan. And more than 40 people have been killed in monsoon floods triggered by torrential rains across North India. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tianyu. Thank you for listening.